0: Hello and welcome
1: to episode 268 of the Win and Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, game one is in the books. It's in the books for the books. Um, they won by 35 points. I don't know if you've heard, I don't know if you've watched. Mm-hmm. They're kind of good. Mm hmm. They are who we say they are. Indeed. Just as some other teams of the East are who we say they are, but we'll get to them later. First of all, Jordan, though, we are going to take a deep dive into game one, our initial thoughts on how it played out and what it means for the series going forward. That second part might be pretty brief, Um, (laughs) both for the series itself and for what real thoughts there are to kind of pull from the bigger picture. First of all, though, without getting into the specifics, which we'll talk about later for all of those other teams, with the context of how the opening weekend of the playoffs played out, was it, I felt, right, I'll lead off with me, rather than just asking you the question, Jordan, and putting an onus on you to come up with the goods, I'll give you what I thought of it. I was never worried, but I did always have this thing of I just want game one to come and to deliver in game one so that we can say, okay, all of the other stuff that could have come up, that people could have started to talk about ridiculous narratives that, you know, the other team in the East now have to deal with, they're not going to have to come to the fore here in a first round series against the Pistons. So I wouldn't say I was anxious about it, but I was very much eager for them to get going in game one and prove that, you know, they are not just as good as we know they are, but they are also really, really professional. I think that was the big thing I wanted to see that this team can just not just win this series, but just kind of brush the pistons away. So I was very happy when <laughs> they did that in about as an emphatic as emphatic a fashion as you could possibly have. Do you share in that feeling? Was there a sense for you of let's get this underway and let's do it right. Which then they delivered on, or is it just trademark Jordan Tresky, you know, Lucy goosey, just nice and laid back going into this. They've got it no matter what. The latter. <laughs>
0: was pretty much, I, I don't think that, I think it says as much as it does for the bucks as it does for a Detroit business team that doesn't have their best player.
1: I Agree and disagree. And I, I kind of mentioned that in writing about the game um, in the postgame grades piece on Behind the Book Pass this morning. Um, I, I gave the Pistons, for example, I gave the Pistons an F grade. I, I do not think the Pistons, even considering what they had, could have been any worse than what they actually were. I really, I don't think they can be much worse. I'm not saying that as in, oh, be careful. The Pistons are going to get better. It's going to get closer. There's really only so much they can do here. But I I just think they were abominably bad. Attitude-wise, as much as anything, I think it really wasn't very impressive where you, I mean, there's it's a double-edged sword. If you're the Heat or you're the Hornets, you must kind of sit there and be like, how did that team beat us into the playoffs? And then you're on second thought, you're probably like, yeah, it might be for the best that that team beat us into the playoffs because we'd just be on the other end of that. Uh, absolute embarrassment otherwise. But I, I think for as awful as the Pistons were, there was something just about how efficient the Bucks were, and I don't... We talk about efficiency a lot, and we talk about efficiency in terms of shooting. I, I don't mean it in that. I mean it in the very kind of They didn't play with their food at all. No. Which is something this team, you know, wants to do at times. They didn't mess around with this. There was just, yeah, this is the playoffs. Um, We have to play you. We have to play you at least four times. But we are not treating this as the playoffs, as in this is the be-all and end-all. You are going to be brushed aside, and we have got bigger goals, and we're going to put in a performance that proves that. And I think the one of the striking things for me was, I think with two exceptions, and one of those was certainly understandable and doesn't really matter, I think almost every book actually played quite well. And didn't just play well, but played very much within within the framework of what a good team performance should be for the books throughout the playoffs where if you were to kind of scale it upwards and all of a sudden you're playing a better team, it's in a much tougher game, well, that same attitude, that same approach would be really good for Milwaukee overall. Um, There was real balance, obviously, not just in the scoring, but in the minutes. That's a dream that isn't going to go into deeper rounds. But I did feel there was just something about the cohesive way they were able to approach it and just this, again, ruthless efficiency of oh, yeah, we have to play you. That's kind of unfortunate. We'd rather just be in the second round right now. But while we're here, we're going to put you away and we're going to do it in the quickest and cleanest way possible for us. That, to me, was a statement. And it's a statement even though the Pistons are bad because you can still beat a bad team in four games, in five games, and not have it be something where you're like, oh, okay, we've learned something new here. Game one to me did give me a little bit of something new. Nothing groundbreaking, but just something where we've been waiting for the playoffs, they're finally here, and it's, okay, well, how are they going to deal with this? How are they going to approach it? Particularly with Blake Griffin out because, you know, if there's going to be complacency, that is the – there's not a situation that's going to breed complacency more than playing that Pistons team without Blake Griffin when you're the number one seed. And they were just like, yeah, we don't care for complacency. We're here to win.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was. I completely agree. I mean, they were up by 20 at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Probably that was even with some like slack (laughs) handed to like the Pistons at that point. Like they were just like, it was just wire to wire, just a throttle for 48 minutes, basically.
1: Both sides of the ball. I mean, um, even like in the first quarter, there was just a spell where. It was mostly Giannis was going down and having his own way, getting to the foul line, which, yeah, I noted like his free throw shooting was atrocious by his usual levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in Jesse, I think there's so many ways where the books can actually improve upon that performance. I'm not convinced the Pistons are going to mentally get themselves in a the place to improve much on their performance where, you know, this really could get incredibly ugly. Um, Not for us. I mean, we'll kind of enjoy it for a little bit. Um, Like, you
0: can make the argument, like, I mean, it's already in this favor, but, like, the point differential of games is going to be, like, far greater than, like, Giannis' minutes this series.
1: Well, I mean, there was plenty of discussion on Twitter at the time. I saw John Schumann tweeted about it, you know. Uh I wonder what the all-time point differential for playoff series is. You know, when those questions are coming up midway through game the one. <laughs> it really says something. And look, the Pistons are bad, and particularly without Blake Griffin and Sad Boys. Sad boys, which was one of the better tweets of game one, Jordan. I'll give you that one. Um <laughs> There is an interesting game going on. I say game because I feel it is a game where we got Vincent Goodwill of Yahoo Sports. Who I'm not wrong in saying he used to actually be a Pistons beat
0: reporter, right? I'm not sure. Possibly I feel like he might have been.
1: Um, but he reported late on Sunday night that. Blake Griffin was going to miss the next three games. And for all intents and purposes, the Pistons are viewing him as done for the season. Which, yeah, okay, there's a lot there. Um, But then, just as we've kind of started recording here, just before we started recording, Dwayne Casey has obviously been addressing the media. And he's saying, you know, Blake is practicing today and he really, really wants to play. I think some of that is probably posturing. I don't think it serves them for the books to just settle into a pattern of Blake Griffin is not going to play at all. Um, It probably doesn't also serve their players all that well to think they're not going to have him by their side at any point. But I'm not convinced because, you know, that contract got quite a bit of discussion in the first place. How long has he got left on that now? this is the
0: second year of five year
1: yeah so you don't exactly want to you know really damage his knees which have already had plenty of issues over the course of his career if there's something if there's something more significant there or at the chance of creating a bigger problem when i'm sorry pistons it's already very apparent that you're on a, a road to nowhere here. I mean, there's there's no real... I don't even know what the victory for the Pistons from this series is. Luke Kennard proving he should play? <laughs> I, maybe. I think that might be their best-case scenario long-term is that they go, hmm, maybe we should play Luke Canard because the rest of what we've got is kind of... Yeah, but... it's just the kind of the professionalism in how the books just dismantled them and really kept going as well. Like the other, the other number that was thrown out there at the time I, I seen on Twitter is that, I mean, the all time record for a playoff game is a, a single game margin of 58 points between the two teams. And the fact that that was put out there and doesn't seem ridiculous, didn't seem ridiculous for something that could happen On Sunday night, but you're kind of like, yeah. If another game kind of takes that shape, who knows? Particularly later in the series, and the Pistons might not have a whole lot of fight or will left in them. Which, yeah, we'll talk about. Oh, they may have have. fight.
0: We're gonna get different
1: different kind. We're Jordan. We're gonna get to that. I've got a tree for the listeners. I've got a tree for you, Um. and we're gonna get to that very shortly. Let's focus some more on the books beforehand, though. I've already alluded to it being very much a team performance, which you agree with that? It was kind of well-rounded with lots of guys playing very well.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the only one that you could say, like, struggle was obviously Mirtich. The fact that I don't think he scored at all, but
1: that's kind of understandable. He He did score, He scored the four points, um, but they were just kind of clean up stuff inside. I mean, he was 0-5 from deep, so he he didn't hit a three-pointer. He also had four turnovers, which is not very good. But the luxury of actually having a, you know, let's get that rust off game in the playoffs was pretty valuable. Oh yeah, I think it could be really interesting for the series overall. For example, if Snell is...
0: uh, He's not playing...
1: I don't. I, I mean, but J- Jordan, if he's ready for say Game Three, Game Four, like he's mm. ready, he is playing <laughs> maybe, because, maybe, because I don't know. Play him and let him get the rust off now before you're in real games. Like Miritich, That's true Miritich could shoot o of twenty eight from deep in this series, and then all of a sudden be feeling good for like the Celtics in Round Two. And it's just not the sort of thing you'd have otherwise. It's kind of a pity Brogdon's timeline wasn't just a bit friendlier that he could come back against the Pistons and have some fun on this. But, yeah, but Mirtich was interesting. I think the other player that I kind of highlighted, I didn't play bad in all ways, but Urson obviously didn't score. Um, Wasn't very effective offensively, although he rebounded really well. He also had two blocks, so some one, value certainly in what he was doing overall
0: one that rivaled his dunk attempt
1: i don't what think game, I, I
0: forget what game that was
1: i don't think anything will ever rival that dunk attempt which i don't I, know i, I, I can not quite remember either he's got on unleash one of those before this series is over you know former team there's a lot of them that he may have to go through in the postseason. <laughs> I was trying to think: is there is there a plausibly a way that he could play a former team in every round on his way to? Not quite because of the magic being on the other side. That, but magic to your side, Sixers to the other side. He could play the Thunder in the finals, although that looks unlikely. Am I missing <laughs> any other recent or some teams? That's them. I think that's all. Yeah, that's oh, the them. Hawks. The Hawks. Part, the Hawks, Hawks, Hawks but obviously, yeah. Um, But, yeah, I, I think he actually kind of played okay. Otherwise, there are going to be games where they can't afford them to just be nothing offensively. But there aren't going to be any of those games in this series. So, what he did give was fine. Who were the standouts, though? I mean, I almost want to just say that's take Giannis out of the equation here. Because... We all know yeah was a standout, but who really jumped out to you that you said, okay, not only am I impressed with that, but that's interesting going forward
0: as well. I think Brooke, Brooke was probably second most kind of standout for me, at least. because He was just so, I mean, he made Thon look silly. And Faun already looked silly for most of the game, like just barely into people for fouls. Thomas doing a good
1: job of making himself look silly
0: for a large. Yeah, course, he was he was literally like a bat, battered rabbit to people, but he just like just defensively, we know how good he is defensively. Maybe people are going to catch up to that, like in terms of like under a national lens of it, but defensively offense like even like he i think he was like two for five two for four from three like it wasn't like a, a great it turned like individually it was kind of like a run the two, run a, two of
1: five the... and he hardly scored in the second half i mean he was great early on and then he basically didn't score i know he didn't play much in the second half but even probably a little bit earlier from say halfway through the second quarter he basically stopped scoring he had 11 points i think after the first maybe even
0: yeah um but
1: yeah two of five from deep
0: but I mean, I just think he, his impact was evident, especially defensively. That was the thing about that stood out to me in terms of like just whole. I know we're looking at specific players, but like defensively, the Pistons were just, they had no shot at all. Like it was literally like, like you said before, like Luke Kennard. And that was like, you know, these little kind of floater touch jumpers, mid range and stuff like that. The pain was basically just like, walled off for them to like make any attempt uh at scoring so outside of him i think george hill definitely was very that the that's the type of george hill that we need to see more aggressive just kind of keep driving keep doing uh you know late season last couple weeks kind of george hill um I don't know. Like, I, I think you could just go like a like a total like a bunch of different ways. I think you, can, I think
1: you're, you're proving my point because my number one on this you haven't mentioned at Sterling. Sterling. I I was really really impressed by Sterling. Sterling had seven assists. Like, granted, a lot of that came with okay, the bench lineups and when the game was well in the hand, but. This is a guy who like if we look at his career so far, to say it's had its ups and downs is, would be an understatement. And even to say like he is he is technically short on experience for the kind of role he is currently finding himself in. And yet he starts in game one of the playoffs on a you know, sixty win team, a number one seed, completely unfazed by it. Um shoots really well. All of his shots from three point range, all of his field goal attempts were three of five from deep has 11 points seven assists three steals his steals were notable even early on he had one of the when when the books really just seemed to be locking it down on both ends where the pistons yeah, just was... weren't in the game he had a steal that was particularly telling and uh, he was also team high plus 38 which he <laughs> did play some of those minutes with the bench guys yeah who, bench yeah it's plus minus is kind of uh, a lot of them are actually negative So for him to actually have come out of that with the best plus minus of any book says something about his impact. I was just so impressed by Sterling Brown that if that keeps up, you get a whole, a whole lot of interesting uh, conversations about how the books could approach things going forward in the playoffs. And just again, different options. It's not like you have to, it's not all binary here where it's one or the other, but. Another interesting option. I, I agree with you on Hill. I think if Hill keeps up his recent play. There, there will come a point where a discussion could be, you know, if the Bucs are bringing back a bench role player next year, should they be looking to bring Hill back or Miritich? You know, if they're in a crunch, um, spacing is obviously crucial to this team and Miritich offers a lot more in that regard. But, Man, George Hill's been good recently. Like, and when he's playing well offensively, his defense has been so good that he's just remarkably complete and one of the more complete guards in the Eastern Conference. If you look around at the the kind of issues that some of the books' rivals have, they could all really use a George Hill. Um, if you look at um no, I'll I'll hold off. Jordan, I'm gonna be disciplined, I'll hold off. <laughs> We'll talk about those people later. Um, Interesting you mentioned Brook. I don't know if you saw uh, Krishna Narsu of Nylon Calculus. He had a tweet. It was a couple of days ago. But when you're mentioning, you know, are people going to catch up to what Brook is defensively? This tweet I found really interesting, mostly because, you know, even people who acknowledge how good he has been defensively are still kind of having this thought of okay, but is he the weak link that's going to get exposed in these series in the next few days? Next few weeks, not next few days. I think it's safe to say. Um, but Christian Arsu's tweet was Brooke Lopez was quite easily the best center in mismatched situations this year, matched up with guards over 393 possessions. With the opposing team scoring just 100.5 points per 100 possessions. No under no other center was within four points per one hundred of that figure, and the league average is 118 points per 100 in these situations. Like
0: that that checks out because like he's I know the last couple of weeks of the season, like you saw him go against like D'Angelo Russell. Uh I'm probably forgetting like other kind of like shifty point guards, Kemba the Hornets in our late season game. Kemba? Right? I, some kind of.
1: Trey Young in the, yes, the Zombie Bucks game in Atlanta.
0: But yeah, he would like switch on to and kind of like really go against that grill and try to like, you know, really go up on them. Trey
1: Young's actually an interesting one because Trey Young was awful in that game with his shooting and with his scoring until obviously he came up with a game winner. Um, but that in itself is maybe it's another sign of that there's like the narratives that are going to come around for the books if they're not there already in the postseason are just lazy and again unsurprisingly a lot of them will be not all that well informed about the books and the books personnel but i mean against it is a bad team and that doesn't look we can't look past that but i think there's also a need to kind of objectively assess some of the things the book showed in game one and just say, okay, well sure. They did that against the Pistons, but if they applied themselves in that exact same way against a better team, what kind of results could that have? Would those results be positive? Like playing as they did in game one, they can shoot better. They can do a whole lot of things better. But is there a team in the Eastern conference that can actually live with that over the course of a series? With that level of play. With that level of intensity. And just. I mean. The kind of. Diligence they had. I. I don't see. And I actually don't see it being all that close. Um, I'm sure part of that is weathered by what's played out over the weekend. But. There just isn't another team in the East. Maybe. There's not a whole lot in the West. There's. I think one other team in the league right now that is putting this kind of level of play together, and that's the Rockets. Um, obviously, nobody is going to discount the Warriors from being able to do this, but you look at the books. You're making a face there. I like it. Uh... <laughs> oh, look! I think I think there's Warriors Rockets is going
0: to be very interesting. We'll just say,
1: yeah, like on current form.
0: If yeah, if there's still a lot to be a lot to be played in that series for both, obviously, but that's that's a massive test.
1: Come on, what this season really should end up with a Bucks Rockets yannis Harden finals, right? Just for I mean that that has been what the season is. This season hasn't actually been about the Warriors. In it's been a bas- about the boardroom basketball Now sets. streaming on ESPN Plus. In a basketball sense, anyway. Um, <laughs> have you watched that by the way? Have you have you seen any of that? <laughs> Come on, what? No. I
0: what? just
1: thought for for laughs, laughs you might have watched a few minutes and you couldn't uh, like
0: my time is precious. And Kevin mm. Durant. Yeah. So.
1: He's not worth your time. Let's talk a little bit. There's one topic which I feel like you're not going to have a lot of interest in talking about, but I want to talk about it a little bit because I was kind of, kind of amused at the general discussion around it. I want to talk about Tan, right? And I want to talk about a little bit about how he played.
0: Yeah, actually, no, I, I, I won't talk about this.
1: Um, <laughs> and I also want to talk about
0: is probably good to talk about this. <laughs> I
1: also want to talk about Tan being booed. And then the secondary reaction to the idea that Ton was booed. I'll lay my cards on the table here, personally. I'm not a fan of players being booed. But, this is the playoffs. And it's like, are they supposed to welcome him back with open arms? I have absolutely no problem with him being booed in this scenario. I think it makes sense. Like, you can cheer him next year. He hasn't been back since... He requested to leave the team for more playing time. Then he comes in. His first action is against you in the playoffs, which, I mean, a little bit more tribal. You know, the whole environment should be a little bit. It's raised. You're not going to be like, oh, look, it's Tom. And then, I mean, he basically spikes Giannis' head, sending him to the floor, and it's kind of like, yeah, this guy... This guy is going to be a problem and a problem in terms of he may injure our best player and one of his good friends before this series is out. So I didn't have an I didn't quite understand why it's like, come on, Bucks fans, why are you booing Tom? It's like, well, because it's the playoffs, and he left and he made a kind of he did it as professionally as you can, but he still, you know, did something that could have had a more disruptive influence on the book season if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, he actually wasn't an important player to begin with. That's the only reason that didn't become something that was a bigger issue, was because internally they could all just be like, oh, yeah, Tom doesn't want to be there. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, let's just keep playing. Tom's not playing anyway. But I just found it a little bit weird that there was this discussion around. I'm kind of like, sure, boom. If you're booing him next year, I'll be like, hmm. Eh. This has maybe gone too far. But remember, and particularly because he was in the game at the same time, Zaza Pachulia got booed on his return to Milwaukee.
0: Oh, you didn't like that one.
1: I didn't like that one.
0: No, he didn't like that one either.
1: Well, I didn't like it. And look, obviously I've got some attachment to Zaza.
0: Change your tune.
1: No, I happens Because it's like <laughs> apples and oranges, Jordan. Zaza was famously one of the, you know, the crew of useful veterans that was just here. We're just getting rid of you for top 55 protected picks because, you know, Greg Monroe wants to play here now. And Jason Kidd is a mastermind and everything is going to go well, but he got booed when he came back and he didn't like that. Yeah, certainly he didn't like it more than I'd like it, but that's a scenario where you're like, this booing makes no sense. In this case, to me it was like, sure, I mean if you want to boo every piston it would make sense, but booing Ton in particular, yeah, why not? That's the silence where I wait for your thoughts, because you oh, were, sorry, yeah. You were, you know, ready to talk about this unless I've gone a different way than you anticipated. Yeah.
0: The one stately thought maker has uh... been for the
1: <laughs> I'll get annoyed if we talk about that one. That got me fired up.
0: All so under we... the guise of progress.
1: We'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> it is fair to say that the books did trade Todd Maker under the guise of progress. And, um, yeah, they have made progress, much like they have with moving out of the building that was going to move them to Seattle. Anyway.
0: Absolutely sinful. Badful. <laughs> <laughs> Your thoughts on the booing, Jordan. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get it. <laughs> you didn't get it. No, I don't. I mean, you're gonna beat him. You're gonna beat him.
1: Gonna, I don't know. But what's the issue with booing him? I again, I'm not pro booing players, but I think if you're gonna boo him, it's the playoffs. I mean, I don't know what was he to get a standing ovation. What did he do? He had two games in playoffs. Let's not forget count. how how absurd it is. And I mean he gave us a great reminder. It's his time. A, it's his time to be on holidays in like a week. He's gonna be on vacation for the summer. I don't know where um, where he's gonna go. What kind of what kind of exotic creatures he's gonna meet. You you might not remember that. I don't know. Um No, you don't see <laughs> maybe no one else remembers Ton on vacation with snakes around his neck, but I do. And the fact that I had to devote time to paying attention to those kind of details, for him to request a trade, come back and try and like throw Yanis around, that's anyway in a playoff series. It's like if people want to boo, go ahead and boo. It's like why not? <laughs> I don't. I don't see the like. Oh my god! The only time I
0: the only time I I boo is Halloween. Boo! Let's move on. Let's move on. Um,
1: I don't want to move on completely because Damn it. I want to talk about Tan in the game. Um, he picked up two fouls in like... 90 seconds. Right. Very impressed with Tan in the way that he didn't actually fell out because like, maybe that's a sign of progress. Maybe that's what he made the big move for, and um, to learn how to play with fouls but he only, only had four personal fouls. He only played 22 minutes also, which I guess is what happens you shoot 2 of 10, of 6.
0: He looked like rookie, Tom, which was kind of... And sophomore year thon <laughs> And third year-a-thon.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate the joke, and there's not a massive difference, but I do think he did look like he was just in the league again. He looked extra wild. Yeah. And yeah. uh, where you're kind of like, oh, what is going on here? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna play a clip because <laughs> we gotta talk a little bit more about Tom in a minute. We'll have to talk is a little bit time more. Time? We'll have to talk a little bit more Minus about drawback. You're on you're on the right <laughs> kind of track here. Um when we first started doing more frequent playoff podcasts. And we, when we first started introducing clips that people were saying in post-game interviews and press conferences and what? playoff games, there was a certain figure who came to the fore as particularly influential. This was a couple of years ago. And that man was one Dwayne Casey. And I'm glad to say that if nothing else comes out of this series, at least the books are again matched up with a Dwayne Casey team so we can get Dwayne Casey press conferences. So going into the series, I was kind of, Wondering, you know, what is going to get Dwayne Casey's goat this time? What is it going to be? delhi has gone. He can't complain about the Delhi screens. But what is it that's going to get him going? What are we going to hear about from Dwayne Casey? And then the books that came out in game one, they won by 35 points. And Dwayne Casey came into the podium after game one. And he had this to say.
0: We got another level we have to get to with our with our intensity uh, physicality uh, cause they're coming through there with violence. I mean, you know, Euro stepping, you know, throwing elbows and stuff like this. So we got to make sure we get our level of, of com- competitiveness up.
1: Okay, Jordan. So just to recap, the Pistons need to get their level of competitiveness up because the books are coming out there with violence, Euro stepping, Throwing elbows. <laughs> uh Sharks, do, Jets. Do you think when he was studying film for this series that he happened to catch some footage of a book Sixers game that was accompanied by radio play-by-play?
0: Play? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the most violent act I've seen in Well, years. it just seems
1: like violence is following the books around these days. You know? Yeah. Everywhere they go. You I know. mean, that
0: whole game last that night was violent violence.
1: <laughs> I know. And seemingly... It was the books who were, you know, the perpetrators of this violence. The rebel rousers. Those violent Eurosteps, you know? Out there, they bring their Eurosteps to the this The coach fight. is
0: diving for loose balls in the locker room to get his team in order <laughs> for the game starts. <laughs> Getting chest burns. Burns.
1: What is going on in Dwayne Casey's head there, Jordan? And what, what was going on in the Pistons' heads when the game just kind of went the way it did, where I'll be honest, okay, I, I think actually Casey himself, I'll give Casey credit, he, he kind of said he understood the Drummond ejection because he felt the officials were trying to make a point and get control of the game which I thought it was quite uh, magnanimous of him because I thought it was pretty soft. It was a flagrant foul, but I think flagrant two was a little excessive. But on the other hand, I think that was a flagrant. I, I also think, I think Tons, Tons, I don't know what to call it.
0: Um, wrecking ball.
1: <laughs> Tons wrecking ball treatment of Yanis. I think that was a flagrant too, not a flagrant. I heard, he's, I heard flagrant they used him to, to continue the well. demolition
0: of the Bradley Center. Well, Absolutely simple.
1: The one stately. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, to kind of go that way, to lose their head so obviously in game one. I was just like, is this for real? Andre Drummond is getting ejected in game one. And that was like early third quarter, was it? Or was it first half still?
0: It was definitely third quarter.
1: Like, just what are you doing? How can anyone ever take you seriously again? I mean, you're not going to be taken seriously this year. That's kind of a given. But completely absurd to me. And Casey's whole rhetoric has been about, you know. (laughs) being our cool. (laughs) No, not anymore. His rhetoric is about violence now. He wants to meet violence with violence, Jordan.
0: At the 4.07 mark
1: the third quarter, okay,
0: and the Bucks were up by forty.
1: <laughs> and yeah, and he responded to being ejected by blowing kisses to uh, the yeah. March of before. the Big Penguin, <laughs> which I mean, with the way the game had gone, if he if he was blowing kisses, I'd be I'd be blowing kisses. Back. Was he blowing kisses?
0: I saw you tweet
1: that. I I, I swear, if you go back and see it, he was blowing kisses. There's there is there brief footage. I don't know where you watched it. I watched it on Fox Sports Wisconsin. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. And they they followed just just at the point that and they cut pretty quickly at that moment because i think someone said something as well and then he looked back but it was Mm -hmm. just as he was heading into the tunnel he started blowing kisses to the crowd and then he kept walking and he kind of turned back and looked at someone as like a director and said okay let's cut away from this but yeah it was just the whole thing is entirely bizarre to me and honestly the Pistons are not the tougher of these two teams. And if they look to make this a physicality battle, they are going to get steamrolled. Oh yeah. They're if they if they go to play that way, and I actually didn't think the books brought any of that to this game. They didn't need to. But if that's their approach for game two, uh guys like Eric Bledsoe and Sterling
0: Brown. <laughs> well, they also have Zaza, though.
1: I'm a a look,
0: there will be a Zaza Sterling tussle. I don't think so.
1: You don't, how do most Zaza tussles actually come
0: about, Jordan? Tripping people (laughs) or stepping on them. Or, no, there was actually one he was like, uh, Pat was going in, I what he was going in for like either a drive or maybe, like, coming in for, like, an offensive rebound or something like that. And he just, like, just whacked Patrick like in the face. It was like him, like, flailing the wacky-armed inflatable tube man fouls that he does.
1: So much of Zaza conflict.
0: conflict
1: Conflict. Genuinely comes about via... This is unpopular to say, but I do think it's a real factor. His clumsiness. He's just like, whether there's intent there or not, I think most people have settled that there is intent. He is very far from a graceful human being. He does not Are you saying he
0: can't do a triple axle?
1: I'm gonna bet that he can't. Oh. There's always... He plays for the
0: Pistons. Boom, that's funny.
1: (laughs) There's always just this element of Zaza gets into these things, not necessarily by way of you know I'm gonna start something, not not in the kind of way that we saw with Drummond and Tom. He's yeah. often also the first person to react. I think back to, um, the Kawhi. No, I, I was actually um, I think back further than that when I think of Zaza, that's where everyone else stops. I was thinking back to his famous fight with Kevin Garnett in. Oh, eight. eight, yeah, in Hawks Celtics. Nothing and wrong. right, that is what came about from that. But it's kind of like, you know, first man in to defend his teammates. So if the Pistons go this route, Zaza will be involved, but I don't think he'll be the initiator. I just, if Drummond thinks he's going to be tough guy, or if anyone else, like, what if Reggie Jackson decides to be physical with Eric Bledsoe? How's that going to work out? If you know, Dime Store Brown over here decides to take on Sterling Brown. Yeah.
0: Bruce. So.
1: One other player, actually, just briefly weren't mentioning before we move on from the Pistons. Wayne Ellington. My God, he was anonymous. Do you want to take a guess what his plus-minus finished
0: I just saw it. In the <laughs> so. It's
1: minus 41, people. Um... Uh, <laughs> He shot two of ten from the field.
0: <laughs> and I thought I was in the UP. You know,
1: you know, yeah. <laughs> only Drummond had a worse plus minus, which is, you know, great signs for the Pistons. Yeah. I I really think Luke Kennard is their only hope of being within 40 points in any of these games. He was I mean, good.
0: I'll give him that. He was genuinely
1: he was... good. He was... I was looking at him in a way of like, can't wait until the Pistons just let him walk away and there might be a chance to get him really cheap and free agency a couple of years. And I was never into uh, Luke Kennard as a prospect. I was like, nah, not seeing it. But he was, he was good. Anything else you want to talk about from game one?
0: No, I think that's, thats I'm surprised we talked this. Long about We've done well, I'm impressed with us.
1: Um, <laughs> Game two up ahead on Wednesday night. Do you expect any change? Joan Casey has also today come out and said they plan on playing more Zone, which is
0: truly, Go ahead. do it.
1: Yeah, Go ahead. truly phenomenal to me. one that that is the plan. To if that is in fact the plan that he's telling everyone the plan,
0: everybody. yeah, everybody,
1: <laughs> not just before the game, two days before the game, yep. you know, but we're making an adjustment, we're gonna go zone. The Bucks are more literally often.
0: playing wiffle ball <laughs> for practices, <laughs> <laughs> and Dwayne Casey's like, Yeah, I think we're gonna throw out the zone two days before the game starts. Do you think they're playing wiffle ball again today? I think they're playing croquet. I think that's. Oh, uh, I, I think go. they've.
1: Yeah, I wonder. Are they going to keep? You know, <laughs> just going to rotate around? Are they going to have different kind of weird sporting events? <laughs> By the time we get to the finals, you know, if we get to the finals, that's not sound presumptuous. Um, when, if we're talking in finals, podcast run, what are the books going to be playing then?
0: Ooh, interpretive dance.
1: They're going to be playing interpretive dance.
0: Okay. You could be playing that. You never know. I'm not you sure. never
1: know. Let's briefly turn our attention. No, go, I asked the question, so I'll let you actually finish that. Is there anything different you're looking for or expecting? Do you think the Pistons will follow through on that added physicality? I don't care. <laughs> no, look, that's important. People do care because there's this concern about injuries. Look, this is over.
0: This series is over. Let's... let's... <laughs>
1: I actually look sure. on the physicality side of this and on any potential, and there are people concerned, oh, what if players end up getting injured because the pistons are going to be just showing. They're going to be, be playing Red Rover,
0: Red Rover, Red Rover, let over, and then he just like trails into like George Hill.
1: Well, the, the last one I want to make on it is I'm not mm. saying the books were were uh officiated favorably per se, but I do think they were officiated like a one seed. And that in itself was really, really cool. <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing the books. you know. Um, you know, if Janus gets hammered, you're like, okay, he's the best player on the best team. We're going to call that appropriately. So if the Pistons get really physical, I I can see them just getting guys tossed left, right, and center. If they got Drummond ejected for what he did in game one, and they're going to, der, Todd is, you know, we weren't physical enough. We need to up the intensity. It's going to end up with a lot of guys getting ejected or picking up crazy amounts of fouls where the Bucs are just living at the foul line. And just a hunch, but I don't think that is going to help the Pistons cause in trying to keep these games close if they just give the Bucks lots of free points.
0: Olivia Newton, John. Let's get physical.
1: Okay. It wasn't hitting me originally, but... I guess that's better than some things you say.
0: Olivia Newton-thon.
1: How <laughs> about save some of that material for the next three podcasts and three games, Jordan? It's not burned yeah, it all out after at the once. Bucks
0: win by 83. <laughs>
1: <laughs> would you want to talk about the rest of the conference? Sure, sure. I mean, you could say no, and I'm still going to do it, so... <laughs> There were some games Saturday. There were some games Sunday. We're not really going to talk about Sunday that much. We'll come back to it at the end because Plus I... I didn't
0: watch that game.
1: No, neither did I. I saw bits yeah. of it, and those bits did not convince me to actually watch the rest of it. No. So, yeah, forget about that one. I saw a lot, we'll say. I don't know. It was flicking between it and the Masters, but I saw a lot of Net Sixers and I saw three quarters. Of um, the truly majestic spectacle that was Raptors Magic, it was like watching a car crash in slow motion. Except if it was a good thing, you know, it had that same inevitability, but it was a good thing. Does that make sense? I don't. Hmm. I don't know what the analogy would be. To watch something completely inevitable that was also, you know, something that could fit you with such joy. But if you want to take the inevitability associated with that car crash analogy, and let's face it, if you're on the piston or if you're on the raptor side of things, you it was it was a car crash in slow motion. But take the positive and add it to that inevitability, and that's what it was for me. It's look, everyone who's listened to Win and Six this year. They don't just know what I feel about the Raptors. I think they've come around to, you know, agreeing that the Raptors are frauds, right, Jordan? <laughs> Jordan, come on. Yes, what? I'm I'm really genuinely interested to hear your thoughts on that game. Because look, we have differed in opinion on that, but Kyle Lowry, give me a second. Let me let me just pull up the box score here just to count up uh, some things Kyle Larry carry the one okay zero points 0 07 from the field 06 from three point range 02 from the free throw line he missed two free throws plus 11 though which i saw a lot of people were very eager to talk about and i had to really just you know Restrained myself for getting involved, and you know, oh, you're like 11.
0: that that kid the at the desk where he's like pained, like you're know, like the veins are popping out. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, I,
1: I I was kind of like that. Like they're just not that good. They I really I don't think this is more complicated. This is what I've thought of them all season long. They just aren't that good. If you look at what they have overall, like their second unit is not good. Their no. bench option's not good. Um, losing OG and OB has hurt them further, but Kyle Lowry does that, and this is the point I was getting to earlier. Um, if the Raptors had the George Hill, they would be a much, much, much better team. They could desperately use the George Hill right now. They're I just... mean, they have
0: Jeremy Land and He didn't play it.
1: Which that says something in its own right. Um, Fred Van Vliet actually shot the ball quite well. hmm Fred Van Vliet is not that good. And he's, he's a got, nice player. He,
0: he is what he is. He's not anything
1: Well he's gonna you can cook him defensively because he's small. Yeah. Like and they did. One Michael Carter Williams did exactly that. Like I actually don't know what way that series is going to play out now, and I—I I mean that genuinely. I—we I, talked on our preview, and I mean, our preview—it's not like a whole lot has changed. I actually think we kind of hit all. Well, of the I think everything has to.
0: changed. I mean, MCW.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we we were agreed that you know the Magic were going to cause them some trouble here. I don't think I thought it would be game one, although that's the Raptors' thing to do. I just didn't think right off the bat they'd be up against it against the the Magic. Um, We kind of likewise thought the Nets could do some things. We thought Pistons or Pacers Celtics would be the lowest scoring series in Eastern Conference history. I mean, that's on course to happen. The Bucs will probably score more points against the Pistons on any given night than those two teams combined to score in their games. But with this particular series, it's like Vucevic played awful on the Magic 1.
0: Yeah, but let's get it teeth. DJ Augustine.
1: Fournier played pretty bad. Like, o- Augustine played great, and obviously to the Terrence point was two for Terrence 11. Ross was awful, 2 of 11. Um, Jonathan Isaac was also not as good as he can be for large parts. The Magic didn't play... Aaron Gordon, 3 of 10. None of them played all that well. They shot
0: 40% from the field. <laughs> The only person to shoot more than 50% from the field was Augustin, and they won. They shot 40% from the field as a team. Like, that's ridiculous. redonkulous.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I was a Raptors fan, I would be genuinely concerned that this could go wrong in the worst possible way. Um, already, I think it's gone, <laughs> it's gone pretty wrong, because, you know, if you, all of your hopes are... This postseason run, where you're going to show things are changed, and you've you're going to convince Kawhi Leonard that this is the place to be long term. Starting that off with a loss at home to the Orlando Magic is a very bold approach to that. But you just look at them and you're like, what? What is this team? What is there to really fear here? Um, I can't quite. There's something with Siakam. I'm trying to figure out. There is something to what, like the major difference is between being Giannis and being Siakam, and I'm not. I'm not talking uh, in terms of obvious ability here. I'm talking about something that's maybe a little bit more abstract. But there's something there, just in terms of how they influence the game. For example, he had 24 points on 12 24 shooting, at nine rebounds as well. He was, he was good. Like, but I don't feel a good game for him necessarily has an impact on what the game is going to be overall. Does that make any sense? Do you kind of, do you know what no, I'm getting?
0: I, I get that. It's an isolated. I'm not saying they're empty
1: calories that he's just puts up numbers they there. I just don't feel his influence is as central to the overall game as it could be. Now, maybe that's something that if they have to make more drastic changes in the summer that they would have to address and they should address, but I don't know. Is that like when Kyle Larry has the role he has and then Kawhi is doing a lot of ball handling and you've got all these different things going on. It feels like Siakam can have a really good game while also still being somewhat peripheral in terms of his influence on the game. And it's just, that's not what you should be looking for if you want to, if you want to really be successful with that team because he is
0: your second best player. Siakam? Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Like he's better, I don't think that's... better than Larry. He's better than Gasol. Um, honestly, I'll, I'd make a real case. Danny Green is their third best player. Danny Green is so reliable and just kind of actually useful that you could do different things with him and you know what he's going to give you. It's literally the complete opposite of what they have with Kyle Larry, where if they do know, it's like, oh, well Kyle could completely no show tonight. And it's just in such a spectacular way. Like I'm, I'm trying not to just make fun of them here, and I don't think I am. This is maybe the nicest I've been or the most seriously I've discussed the Raptors in a while, and it's kind of because, yeah, like this is this is what they are, like this is what i've this is why I've been the way I have. this is what I've seen, but Larry, when he does that, you're just kind of like, what is the deal here? What can you possibly do?' That to me was interesting with the move, obviously, when DeRozan is traded, and I think you would have to trade DeRozan. DeRozan is not the kind of player that I'm naturally inclined to to like. Mm-hmm. But when I looked at the Raptors, DeRozan was always the guy who was more important to them, in a real sense, because Kyle Larry at his best was very, very effective, and he has these spells and very particularly his defense can then be important too, and he gets going. But there was real worth to the reliability of what the Rosen is like the Rosen may not always have a really good, efficient night. Certainly not. Yeah. He's not going to just take seven shots in the playoff game though. If he's one of your top two guys. Yeah. He's going to, you know, <laughs> if you empower him and he has a role within your team where he can do that, well, he's going to go and he's going to take his shots. And part of that, even if you're, you know, off the mark, that's part of being, that kind of player is. Kyle taking seven shots and you lose at home to the magic and you've been there for all of those other losses. Like, that is so damning. That is so damning that it's just impossible to take that team seriously. Like, what seriously? I mean, what could the books be afraid of there? You've got Kawhi Leonard, and that's it. How many get? how many minutes? I don't know if you have if you have a box score open, don't look at it. Maybe you know this already. But how many minutes do you think Kawhi played in that game? 30. 33 minutes. Siakam played 42. So can he not play more minutes than that? Or is Nurse actually like, was he not there for the game and deluded enough to think that they didn't need Kawhi to play more to get the win? Like, it's not a good sign if you're having to play him more than that to beat the Magic in game one. But that is exactly the situation that they found themselves in. i I don't I honestly I don't have a strong feel on that series now. I, I would not be shocked if the magic upset the Raptors across seven.
0: Nah, I'd be I'd be shocked.
1: I, I would not be shocked. I still expect the Raptors to advance. Um mostly because look, Kawhi Leonard is by like a million miles the best player in that series. But I would not be shocked if that's like magic in seven. Mm. Because again, if it comes down to one game, what have the the Raptors ever done to make you have any confidence that you know they can deal with that pressure? Because that's what game ones are for them. Like that's I talked about at the start. What you know, game one for the books represented to me and what I wanted to see them do. Imagine being a Raptors fan. What you must want like that would seem a very simple thing to say for game one. But if you're a player. You can't just disregard all of the history, even if it's a different team. You've got to be ultra aware of that and say, you know, we can't just say, oh, we're a different team, we're a different team. Go out and prove it. And they do that in game one. You're like...
0: Frauds, Jordan. Frauds. I think it... Personally, I think it's more plausible to see the Nets taking their series more than...
1: I didn't oh, say that we weren't going to have a Magic Nets Eastern Conference semifinals. Mm. I don't. Mm. I don't think that will happen. Um, although I do think the Nets might win that series, much more so than I think the Magic could. I think the Nets really, really could. The Nets are—they oh, are so good like relative to what they have. Talk about getting the most out of what you have. And I've enjoyed watching them for a couple of years now, but there is also something interesting. I think when you watch them from a books perspective, because they don't do all of the same things that the books do, but the Budenholzer influence and the lineage of Kenny Atkinson is clear in a lot of ways at the same time. And you look at that team and you're just like, yeah, they're not gonna give you any margin for error. And if you're the Sixers, like you do everything you can to make it that you need all the help in the world. And they're not gonna get any help from, from Brooklyn in that series. With all sorts of weirdness, um the Sixers never released that statement on a that they were supposed to release, did they?
0: Turned out the statement turned into a question mark.
1: <laughs> like He's obviously not right and not right in a somewhat major way. Like Blake Griffin-esque, not right. Yeah. That if they were the Pistons, they'd probably be saying, do we bother playing him at all? And honestly, because they're the Sixers, they should actually take that question out of it and just say, we're not playing him. Um, We have plenty of other guys. We've got to try and get through this series because if we have any chance of doing anything, we need him. Now, in doing that, they could well go out in the first round. But like what is the plan here? I know it's a tough question with the Sixers, and we could apply that in a lot of different ways. But what is the plan for Jimmy Butler to go all Jimmy Butler and unsurprisingly you lose at the end of that? Because since when is that winning basketball? <laughs> Turns out Jimmy Butler, even on his best night, I mean you're not as good I, as
0: he thinks. I know you're making fun of Jimmy Butler, but I mean Tobias Harris, four points, seven shots. Like that's that's this like I think we talked about big... this, we talked about this after the other
1: Sixers game. They traded for Tobias Harris to be their fourth or fifth featured player on offense.
0: Yeah. So I mean...
1: you get you get out of him what you what you shape him to be. That's why Tobias Harris was different with the Clippers than he had been in other places. So this idea that you just get like this is team building one oh one. This is why you know you can't just throw any player into any situation. It's why the Warriors' achievements are actually incredibly impressive in spite of all of their talent, because more often than not, it actually doesn't work if you just go, oh, that guy's good. Let's throw him in there as well, and we get better. Yep. Yep. It's not how it works. But you bring Tobias Harrison, you make him that kind of player again, and then there's a game you could do it and being more, but he's not giving you that, and why is that? Well, you're to blame for that because you've asked them to be something different again. And it can't just be like, okay, Tobias, we need you to be, you know, say a 12 and six guy shoot really efficiently. Give us good defense. But if midway through the game, you feel like it's not going our way or other guys are struggling. We need you to become a 25 and 12 guy. (laughs) Like it doesn't work like that. You've given him a role. If he plays that role, and he has a night where he's a little bit off, you go, okay, well, what can you do? I mean, he had seven rebounds, six assists, and he was a plus three. He basically just had a tough shooting night and didn't take a whole lot of shots. But hey, that is that is literally now what his role is, is not to take a whole lot of shots. It's to be a featured shooter rather than a primary scorer. It's kind of like you reap what you sow in that regard. And I think that's why just the team makes no sense and why so much of what they've done, particularly since Elton Brand arrived, I mean, has just been like... I, I like Elton Brand a lot as a as a person. I've always had a lot of time for him. He seems like a really smart guy. This is very much in at the deep end. And to me, what their whole roster construction feels like is like a 14-year-old in his bedroom playing NBA 2K and being like, okay, what, yeah. what why did I put the team together? It's like it's not it's not actually taught out in like a real this is how NBA teams get built sense. And we talked from way, way back about their bench. Like, just with all of those well, moves. Well, after the stuff. deadline. I mean, we well, about... they make those moves, and everyone's, like, pumping <clears throat> up the Sixers. And you and I had conversations on the podcast where we're like,
0: what? They have no bench. They have literally no bench. It's their not best like bench players are playing at the same positions as their best players.
1: Exactly. Where you're just, like, it's not even like you go, oh, we shortened the rotations. It's fine. No, you don't have two or three bench players to shorten your rotation to that. Like, unless you shorten your rotation so you've got five guys – um three of them injury prone playing 48 minutes you're gonna need your bench and they haven't got one it's like what happens then oh you come up against a team that can literally go i think they went 10 11 deep 10 deep could probably have gone deeper if they wanted (laughs) really i mean yeah is shabazz napier worse than what's on the Sixers. Jonathan
0: burn. Simmons, minus 16 in 11 and a half minutes. Ben Simmons. I mean, I'm glad you brought
1: him up. I almost forgot.
0: Well, I brought up Jonathan Simmons.
1: Oh, I thought you said Ben Simmons. I just heard Ben because I needed to do it, and I'd forgotten. Like, this guy, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Who does he think he is that he'd get away with this? Like, this... All the lofty talk about his status, what he can be. oh you know really smart people talking about one of the you know, one of the most interesting possible trades for Anthony Davis could be Ben Simmons. Do you remember that? That's like a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Ben Simmons <sighs> I'll take whatever leftovers the Lakers have rather than Ben Simmons. like we talk about Kyle Larry. We need to get those two guys on a team together. <laughs> Just for my amusement as much as anything else. But four of nine for the field. Again, like a game like that where you need something else. Nine shots. And he is not Tobias Harris because by default, he has the ball in his hands all the time. And you attempt nine field goals.
0: And what did he was... say after the game?
1: There was all this stuff about the booing. Again, Amir Johnson his phone. I...
0: <laughs>
1: Maybe we'll talk about that in a second, just because I know you like talking about Sixers' weirdness. I
0: about weirdness?
1: The booing... I don't know how you can be a Philadelphia 76er. And, like, for quite a bit of time... They're like their and batteries,
0: They throw batteries at Santa.
1: And tickets. <laughs> I think it's a good idea to come out and say, you know, don't boo us. We don't need that. Real fans wouldn't boo us. It's like, you've marked your cards for good now, Ben Simmons. (laughs) Just don't do that. That's not going to get them more inside. I think, again, you know, this is a strange thing. I don't feel like my – maybe I have to reassess my position on booing. I think Sixers fans might have had a case for booing. (laughs) I don't think they were, you know, out of line to be booing. Uh, Maybe they don't quite all appreciate just how good and balanced the Nets are. But, uh, you know, if you hype yourselves up the way those Sixers players did, and then you play like that, you deserve to get booed.
0: Uh, I've heard they're unstoppable.
1: Best team in their imagination. (laughs) Record-wise. I don't think in their imagination you need to put record wise in there to qualify. it. I think they <laughs> yeah, their imagination in the locker room after that. The game, new
0: big four.
1: Did you see Jimmy Butler's comment today that you know it could be worse? We could be down 04. So I was like, You actually can't be down 04, Jimmy Butler. If you're down 04, you're down 04. Yeah. You're <laughs> you know, you're down and out. <sighs> Bizarre. The Amir Johnson thing. So obviously that blows up. It blows up to the point where someone, whether it's someone inside the organization, completely
0: someone... unacceptable. Oh, gee, oh,
1: <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Gets to Brett Brown in the corridor before he goes into the press conference, says, You need to know about this. He goes and does that. What you just did.
0: Yeah.
1: Joel Embiid says it was to do with his daughter. His daughter's already sick. He was checking that. Yeah, and then the Sixers waste no time in coming out and announcing that they have fined him was Embiid lying or do the Sixers not only you know not care that he may have had valid reason for this but are like so kind of oblivious to the optics that they're like we are going to come down hard on this in public we are no longer you know the laughingstock, Brian Colangelo, Sixers. So we're going to release a statement after our opening loss to the number six seed to make sure everyone knows we have fined the highly respected veteran who was checking his phone to see if his sick daughter was okay. The Sixers, in a nutshell.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Nets are really good, though, right? like D'Angelo Russell takes some bad shots. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's my, my one big worry I'd have for him in that series. Although then he takes the shots and going back to what we've talked about with other players, you know? Yeah. If you're the guy, take the shots because if you don't take the shots, you're definitely going to lose. And that's what happens with Simmons. That's what happens with Larry, you know? So his confidence his somewhat unwavering confidence in himself will probably hurt them at times, but it's also kind of important that he follows through with that, particularly with a roster with that makeup. But look, Karis DeVert was great. Joe Harris, I just, (sighs) Joe Harris was too cheap last summer. He was, he was the guy that I was, I was all full of for the books last summer. And, I mean, I was going to say in hindsight, I don't know what you could do to get him. I actually do. There's one very obvious thing the books could have done differently and opted to try and get Joe Harris. Um, But hey, Joe Harris is great.
0: Well, even it's not even just like him. Like, obviously, he's, he's, you know, three point (laughs) champ.
1: He's even like his driving is insane. I I wrote about that in uh, in a free agency profile for anyone. If there's anyone listening who doesn't watch the Nets a lot and you're watching that, actually look that up because I did a really deep dive on Joe Harris because I really wanted the books to get him. Um, But there's there'll be good links to other stuff on Joe Harris and everything in there. Um, His numbers are just phenomenal in a whole variety of different elements that you don't necessarily associate with his game. He's just super super smart and super efficient in a variety of ways. And that's kind of like he is representative of their team on the whole. You know, he might be one of the more extreme cases of role player turns incredibly good. But if you go down the roster, you will find other guys who are kind of similarly outperforming their expectations in whatever ways and it all comes together to be what it is.
0: Well, think of like a guy like Ed Davis. Like late in free agency, he was serviceable role player with Portland. But like when he left, like I remember, there was like a big stir with like Lillard and stuff like that. They they didn't like that move at all. He's
1: one of the most popular teammates, it seems, in the NBA. Even going back to like when he was really young and he was in Toronto, I remember him being loved by teammates. He's always
0: kind of had these flashes of like he's always someone you've liked, Jordan. What What
1: you've always had a soft spot for Ed Davis. I remember you writing about Ed Davis or bringing up on a podcast way back. Ed Davis. This is a long time ago,
0: right? Said Ed.
1: Back in a very different, you know,
0: era of targeting free agents for the mm. books. Yeah, yeah, that, that's probably right. But yeah, I mean, even look at Jared Dudley playing the small five. I like you can't help but root for him, and he didn't even hit a shot. He was up for two, and he was really good. Yeah, he had four points all from the free throw line. Like, like
1: he actually moved the ball. He wasn't initiating, but he was. I actually might go and look at his touches because I feel like he touched up a whole lot late in that game where it was just like every second pass was going to go through him because he was, he doesn't have the skills. He doesn't have the athleticism to 39 touches in total.
0: Yeah.
1: And he played 35 20,
0: passes.
1: Like the 25 passes is the one that's kind of telling um, because
0: 35, actually, sorry,
1: 35. Yeah. So he touched the ball 39 times. So it was past 35 times, which is kind of a joke of that's what he does. I have seen people who watch the Nets much more often be like, Jared Dudley gets the ball, and he's just—it's like terror comes across. He has him like one he of the it.
0: like sm- like lowest usage rates in like NBA history. It's like Tony style level. I was
1: about to bring up Tony style, um, but yeah, you you just there's something about that Nets team, and
0: maybe Brett Brown was right.
1: Maybe Brett Brown was right. They Maybe... are
0: completely dangerous.
1: Maybe he shouldn't have shared that. Um, no. kind of a recurring team. They here. came with
0: the violence, I
1: It seems like they have a problem in Philadelphia where they all say things that they shouldn't say, like the you know don't boo us stuff. It's like don't say that. How do you know, how do you not know about Philadelphia sports fans? Are you picking the Nets? Before we get to the matter, I'm, like,
0: I'm not picking nets. I'm just saying it's. I, I you're picking like it to go one... deep
1: though, and deep in. The oh series. yeah, I I thought it would be. I think we both thought it would be six games anyway, but
0: but I think it's it could be a hard six, not a soft six.
1: <laughs> you're not gonna push to seven, even, but it's gonna be a hard six. Hard six. <laughs> I I think the nets could really, I think the nets could advance. Um, either way the fact that we're having these kinds of discussions about the teams that have been set out as, you know, the book's biggest rivals is fascinating. I don't, I'm not going to flippantly kind of just dismiss them out of the ordinary um, and say, you know, we don't have to worry about these teams at all anymore. Plan the parade, but they're not giving a whole lot to be scared of. And honestly, they didn't in the regular season. Like, I think this is the thing with all of these teams. It's like, the Bucs beat them all. <laughs> That's I don't think we ever mentioned this, and it will just get kind of forgotten. But the Bucs won every single Eastern Conference series they had this year. Oh yeah. No splits. No ties. They no won splits? They won every single Eastern Conference series they had this year. Which they only lost to two teams twice. And that was the Thunder and Suns.
0: Wow.
1: Like there is nothing.
0: Oh oh, oh, oh. We got big news. What's our news? James Ennis has been cleared to play for Kate. <laughs> Moment Sorry. like
1: that gives me a little bit of a you know. Yeah. My heart skips a beat, Jordan. I'm like, oh no. What what, what is in store for me now? And then it's that uh...
0: Um
1: I guess that means that Jonathan Simmons is gonna lose his eleven minutes. You know so that one means. The Nets must be quaking in their boots. Okay, let's move it on to the mailbag. Don't worry, we will check back in with our dear friends around the Eastern Conference in the podcasts ahead. For now, though, our focus is Yeah, large. we have to talk
0: about something interesting besides this Bucks Pissing series.
1: Genuinely, I think that is going to be part of it, and we are we are going to be looking ahead a lot, not in a, you know... <laughs> not in an arrogant we're-looking-ahead way. I think just in a pragmatic, we're going to go crazy if we've got to think about just this present series for four games. And God forbid that, you know, the kind of things that can happen arise and it becomes like a five-game series because I'm already like, oh, can we just get this series over with? Um, It'll be... The games themselves, but if they play out like Sunday night, I mean, that's enjoyable. People enjoy that when it comes around. But it doesn't give you the kind of, you know, juicy let's sink our feet into this discussion about this series that you're normally used to with the playoffs
0: i call this series see. easy bake oven
1: the first question in the mailbag <laughs> from a bandwagon
0: books Welcome. is this what it was like
1: <laughs> playing against the Bucks in the playoffs for the past 20 years i take that is it are the pistons basically what it was like are the books getting the experience of what it was like to play against the books, the playoffs, over the last 20 years?
0: Not? No. The books haven't... I think, like, the only... The, only the books actually that... never
1: been... Sorry to go across. You, you'll actually speak to this better than me, but... They generally haven't been, like, that terrible. They've actually often been competitive, and even the times where example when they were notably swept rather than winning in six um a lot of that has to do with the team they came up against rather than who they were themselves Is that fair to say i like they've just been mediocre the pistons feel bad right now the books have been exactly mediocre for a lot of their playoff journeys
0: yeah that was that was the series i was gonna bring up like i remember like yeah I, like, yeah, maybe, obviously... maybe
1: that is the same though. Maybe that is how the Pistons will ultimately look back on this one. But they I, should I, I I don't know. I just feel like the Pistons are worse.
0: Oh, Particularly, yeah. I mean, without without best
1: yeah, without yeah. Blake Griffin, but I'm not entirely saying that with Blake Griffin they'd be that different either.
0: Yeah.
1: Like I what mean, is maybe. the actual I think the one thing that's interesting um is I wrote about this and right with the regular season games. Like no team managed to get Giannis into foul trouble quite like the Pistons did Pistons. throughout the regular season. He averaged four point five fouls per game. He had to actually go and actively sit on the bench for spells that's, in all that's four.
0: Why DJ had that breakout game?
1: Right in all four of their regular season games with the Pistons, and it didn't feel like it at the time watching. But I guess based on Sunday, Blake Griffin was the reason for that. And it was guarding Blake Griffin and maybe trying to be over aggressive with that. But he's at least a player who makes Giannis want to be over aggressive or makes him want to kind of play the matchup rather than just, oh, yeah, I can just stand here and the ball's going to come to me and I'll go down the other end, which is what Ton is, you know? Yeah. Like. I don't think there's a big difference because Blake Griffin didn't even necessarily. He had 10 turnovers in one of the games against the books this year. Quadruple, to, quadruple, double with 10 turnovers. Um, but yeah, they feel particularly bad. Yep. From at John Dolza, tough to read much into a game like this, but it seemed like Bud was more than happy to play Ursan and Brooke at the same time. This won't matter against the, against the Pistons, but do you think it could hurt defensively against the Celtics? My honest reaction to this is to go back to what we kind of just talked about a second. on that is, what was what was the books record against the Celtics this year? <laughs> that's not. I'm not. That's not a punchline. I,
0: I know it's six. Laugh.
1: Like, <laughs> does it? If it troubles the books, does that mean the books win in six? Like, I don't. We Like, we talked about Brooke earlier. I We actually... Look, we did completely skip over the, the Celtics and Pacers game because neither of us watched it, and by all accounts, it was like basketball from hell. There is something, though, even just with having watched, like, no more than five minutes that game that I feel like you can point to that and be like, uh yeah, that's the reason they can't beat the Bucks And it's because... They had a playoff game in 2019 where the final score was 84-74, and this was what we talked about in our preview, where you said, you know, the Pacers just have no one who's going to score. And I said, well, who's going to score for the Celtics? Mm-hmm. And that's what played out. Um, 84-74 is just like that would have been bad 20 years ago.
0: I mean, <laughs> very, very that was, impressive. Bad like, like mid 2000s. Right. It's just those, like de- like when I was looking the over game,
1: the when the game trended that way, that still would have been bad.
0: Yeah. When I was looking over like the Pistons, Bucks, like playoff history, like those are like those types of games.
1: Like the the only I think I have gone back to or I say gone back to, I had, probably haven't actually really moved off this all season. Maybe some small spikes either way. You probably still disagree with this, but maybe not as much. Like, I think the Celtics are the greatest threat to the Bucks in the Eastern Conference. But just because they're the greatest threat doesn't actually mean I think they're a real meaningful threat. Yep. Really, the only reason I think that is Al Horford. And I guess that's even what seems to have happened in game one. is just Al Horford is very, very, very good and will do enough of the right things on any given night that if the score is high, if the score is low... He can make the difference with kind of the right players at the right times. He can pull a frequently dysfunctional and uh, not quite harmonious team up to a different level. And obviously, in a very in a very obvious way, we've seen that as players who can match up with Giannis go, he is probably as good as anyone in the NBA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, And that makes it a series. And then Kyrie Irving could do something and, you know, but like when we've just talked through Raptors and 76ers, I think the Raptors and 76ers have the potential, um, whether they will do it or not. They certainly haven't set up this way to begin with, but they have the potential to kind of blow away most teams in the East in a way that the Celtics may not be able to do, but they couldn't, we literally saw evidence of it this weekend they can't just you know just win a game you know just we're going to grind this one out and we're going to show that we have some kind of steel about us and we're going to get this win and move on so that's the celtics in terms of looking to the second round i think looking at the overall picture in the east personally i think if the Bucks get to the conference finals they get to the finals Doesn't mean there's anything about the way the books play or about Bud's rotations that, like, <laughs> do you think that would hurt defensively against the Celtics? I don't really, well, I don't think it would. I mean, we've talked a lot about this before and Ersan and Brook, and there are things that Ersan does defensively that are very, very troubling. And I mean, it's basically just his physical limitations. But then this is a game that's played on two sides of the floor and in some ways i think if the books were to play the celtics for example and you're put dj in and dj was to have one of his off spells offensively which if we're being honest happened more often than they don't mm-hmm. you could almost be playing into the celtics hands a bit more and i think a key element with this is the kind of discussions we are having around ursan and dj and defensively the differences they make that we had for the best part of a month six weeks um, they can all go away by the time it actually matters because if Miritich gets rid of the rust that he clearly has at the moment and is fit and firing in the second round, well, that solves that one. I Like, if you get a half-decent Miritich, I don't think the Bucs will even have to worry about, you know, intricacies of their rotation defensively because they will just outshoot the Celtics. Let's not forget the one Celtics win against the Bucs this year. Just how... Unbelievably red hot, the Celtics had to shoot to barely pull it out against the books team that didn't have a great night at yeah. all. Like the books were awful, and they the Celtics were as hot as they could get, and they just beat them. Like I think there's a bigger difference between this year's books to last year's books than <laughs> so we brilliant. have. Then we have if we're comparing <laughs> Celtics teams, and as in if we're comparing. Celtics without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward versus Celtics with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward I mean anecdotal evidence would actually suggest those two players coming back has made them worse but the Bucks went seven games with that team last year and they could have won could easily have won what is there to fear there this year
0: two things
1: only fear itself Jordan
0: boom Plus 17.7 net rating, in 357 minutes. Throwing that out there for the regular season. That two man combo, Brooklyn and Ursan. Do you
1: still uh, have those numbers in front of you? I do. What's defense already?
0: 92.7. Wow. How many minutes? 357. <laughs> like, am I worried about that? I'm not saying it, that's not a I'm gear, not worried that, that's, about that.
1: No, I'm but not, I. Yeah. There are other players on the floor, right? And like there, there are things you can point to the weaknesses of that, but you can also point to uh, a Brook or Ursa on front line. And generally, you're going to have Yanis at the tree. A lot of the time, when that's there, um, like there are other things tied to that. That that's an example of it, where Janus is also on the floor. So the decision to play those two players together is really a decision to opt for size and the books can opt for size in a way that can just completely swallow opposing teams whole. We've seen this. We've talked about this, that, you know, the jumbo books lineup, it could come out a lot more in the playoffs and the comments bud made about it and the sports illustrated profile were pretty telling in that regard. I think we're going to see more of those groups because I don't think most teams will just have any idea what to do with them. It's easy to say, Oh, well you just go this way and do this. But even when the books go to a lineup like that and you say, oh, Ersan, he's not all that athletic, you can negate what he brings in this way, in this way. Well, that changes when Giannis is out there with his athleticism. <laughs> and it changes when Brook Lopez is like 7-1 and I don't even know what his standing reach is, but I know it's absurd. Like... The Bucs can close off the court with players that still have the skill to hurt you in all of the ways that a smaller group would. There is no matchup in the East that scares me. Uh, I mean that individually, in terms of matchups, like I don't. I think there are games where you could say, yeah, the Celtics is the obvious one where, Urson could be a problem in some matchups. I think he could still be a problem in some matchups, and the books would still win those. Games easily, because of how they could outmatch the Celtics in so many other ways, and particularly if there is reason to have him on the floor in certain groups. I mean, that's just that's the specific example. From the question mentions urson and brooke but I think there are other pairings and combinations we could talk about where the same thing kind of surfaces. Individually, you could be like, okay, maybe that player and that doesn't quite work, but the overall shape of what the books are doing and the overall lineups just I think are generally going to still overwhelm teams they have so many options like this did you see the net rating for the starting five and 11 minutes against the pistons no it was over a hundred I'm pretty sure <laughs> they had a, a offensive rating of like 160 something um, and I think the defensive rating was 59 point something <laughs> that's 11 minutes like <laughs> it's not like one or two minutes it's 11 minutes so, second,
0: second point I wanted to bring up: the Celtics what? are starting Aaron Baines.
1: Didn't he pick up a bit of an injury, or looked a bit knocked up at times too? I don't so. know. I don't. I don't know even how but healthy he is.
0: I know everybody's looking at like, oh, their going to be figured out. They start. I repeat, they are starting Aaron Baines.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's actually an interesting point because they had some of their greatest success last year
0: with him in Horford.
1: Right. Where if you go Giannis, Urson, and Brooke, you're creating a mismatch in your favor. Yeah. Because if Yanis is going to, if Horford is going to card Giannis as a tree, like you're probably going to put Baines on Urson as the, I, I don't I honestly I don't know what you do there. They probably put Banes on Earth on and you end up with someone much smaller on Brooke and what's gonna happen then? Uh, Brooke is gonna attempt like 12 trees and make quite a lot of them like there there is something and it's kind of natural that particularly from the position the books are in where we spend so much time thinking about and a lot of the questions even we get asked are about like how do the books counter that kind of element from the Celtics? Yeah, you're, you're... a lot of the questions we should be asking are: How did the Celtics deal with any of the book stuff?
0: Exactly, that's that. That's the thing. It's a there's it's a two way street,
1: right? And we're hello
0: neighbor. We're hello, inclined Bob. to
1: pick the things that might be <laughs> detrimental to the books that might show them off course. Where if we flip it from the other perspective, it's kind of like you know, okay, so the Celtics make this adjustment to. I see,
0: <laughs> I see the the Celtics' third guard as Brad Wanamaker.
1: I was gonna make a joke there. that I just think, it's, no, no, it's way too niche. I don't know if anyone. Oh, I've said that, but there's a question later. <laughs> no, I'll leave it. But Bud has technically come face to face with a wanna maker already this season. That's. Well, I was gonna go with that. <laughs> Did, does that mean anything to you? Have I
0: lost you on well, this? Well, I just I think it it sounds funny to me, but I don't know what it means.
1: It's the when. Brooks Kepka came to visit the Bucks at Barclays Center. Um ahead of a game at the Nets a while ago. I believe Bill Clinton was also at that game because there's pictures George of...
0: Hill is reliable that was that was the George ever... Hill
1: game. That was the George Hill.
0: I love him.
1: Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a great moment. But yeah, um Brooks Kepka brought along with him the US PGA championship trophy otherwise known as the wanna oh, Wanamaker trophy.
0: Oh, there we go.
1: Anyway, that took way too long, and people aren't going to be interested, so we'll keep moving. Four! That's the tagline for winning six, by the way. So it took way too long, and people aren't going to be that interested. From MKE Robert, most likely national narrative heading into round two. Books are the favorites, and people should stop doubting how good this team is. Books weren't challenged in round one, and that is cause for concern. Celtics are the favorites because they've been here before. I actually don't think it's any of these. If it was to be one, I think it's closest to number two, which is books weren't challenged in the first round, and that is cause for concern. Um, when I saw that Blake Griffin might miss the entire series thing, my first thought was... I cannot wait until there becomes this kind of Twitter thing around the books of oh, what does it matter that you know they're they're winning these games by 30 to 40 points and they sweep the Pistons. It's like the Pistons are terrible. they're They're playing such a bad team that we can't take anything out of that. It's like, oh, the Raptors are over here having to play the magic, which I mean come on. Uh, the the Sixers are over here having to play the Nets. There's going to be this case against the books that the books have had it so easy because, as we have already discussed on this episode, the Pistons are bad. Why, Jordan? If you'll just you know humor me here, why did the books get to play the Pistons, who are bad? Why? Why did that come about? Why is that Milwaukee's <laughs> lot in the postseason?
0: I don't know. You do
1: know. Come on. Think about it. I'm not. This is not a true question. Very literally, why did the Bucks get to play the Pistons?
0: Because they captured the one seed. Exactly.
1: So <laughs> the Bucks get to play a bad team because they decided we're going to be the best team. And the reward for the best team is to get to play the bad team in the first rounds. Like, this is literally how the playoffs work. And I am 100% confident we're going to reach a point where it's like, oh, the Pistons are so bad, and they did not play Griffin. You know, the Bucs, what can we say about the Bucs? Nobody can say anything about it. It doesn't even count. You know, they may be at a disadvantage because they've been playing like this minor league team for the last four games, where it's like, okay, why did the Bucs get to play them? Why do teams actually want the one seat? It's like, yeah, because you could basically have a round off. Giannis played, we didn't talk about this. Giannis played 23 minutes. In game one,
0: 24 points,
1: 24 points, 17 rebounds in 23 minutes. Game one of the playoffs, and Pat Connaughton led the Bucs in minutes. (laughs) (laughs) They won by 35. It's like, yeah, that's why you go and get the one seed. If the Sixers were really the best team by record rather than the best team in their imagination, maybe they could have played the bad team. That's my opinion. I don't know about you, what your thoughts are. I don't care. National narrative. Yeah, I thought that would be it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> MK, Robert again. Did Game of Thrones further contribute to the book's sleeper status? I'd guess that was the lowest rated game of the weekend. And uh, um, I mean, we... 100%. Yeah. I would guess it was, although I would say the drop-off rate on Pacers Celtics was pretty high. Yeah. I mean, at least the books were scoring points, which people tend to be entertained by. So <laughs> maybe some people tuned in at least past halftime drummond's ejection may have signaled the point where everyone else ejected and <laughs> yep. flipped over and went oh that's good timing for game of thrones but yeah i think that would have made a kind of played a factor in that but w- what else are people going to say about the books in the next few games like we've already talked about this god help you all you're probably going to listen to us do three more podcasts at least on this series
0: oh, i'll get weird
1: it, will, it was already weird, but I think it could Definitely get really get weird. weird. Um, I don't expect anyone to say anything, but does that matter at this point? I'm past the point of caring about that in this context because if it's like the books arrive in the second round and everyone wants Why? to be surprised that the Who books cares? are my like, god, the books are good. It's like uh, okay, but they
0: like, drew a twentieth chair. It's <laughs> like I don't even know what these things mean. What does yeah, that mean? Is that actually like, the number? Share is like the percentage of. No, I viewers. actually
1: do kind of know what that means, but was that the number? I don't know. I don't okay, really care. So you're just making stuff up.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I thought we had some actual insight there. <laughs> no. No. Other podcasts, still the place to go for actual insight. Yeah. Uh, from at OG Cheesy, why am I still nervous about Boston in round two? Don't um, be. <laughs> why do people consistently overrate Kyle Lowry? Uh, we'll do part one first. <laughs> you say don't be, but I I like we just touched on this. I think I understand that and I think that's actually the rational way to think of this. I just, for as weird as their season has been and for how combustible they' are in a lot of ways, um they're certainly not sixers level of combustible. and they don't have the baggage the Raptors
0: have. You don't think they're as combustible as the Sixers? I mean... 100% no. The yeah, Sixers, after know. one
1: game, started complaining about Philadelphia fans
0: booing That's true. Them. That's very true. I'll give you that one. That whole situation... They've got Jimmy Butler on their team. Take take it off rearview mirrors. Don't look back. Don't look at the past.
1: Uh, Boston are the biggest threat to them. Again, but that doesn't mean they are that great a threat. I mean, the Bucks are probably the biggest threat to themselves.
0: <laughs> honestly,
1: it's a ser- honestly, it's a series where they just... No sport, show, it's like where they, where they cool off, they play really poorly for a stretch. Something happens, I don't, I don't know. But that's... Honestly, that's the way that I see it right now. Maybe that will change across the course of the next couple of weeks. Maybe one of those other teams will really hit some form but with what we've seen across 82 games and now i guess 83 games for these relevant teams there's not there's not anything there to be all that scared of i think the celtics might be the most together of the bunch but the celtics are not all that together so that's just something in its own right
0: they just need another cross-country play run and they'll be fine gordon hayward right around the corner
1: would abolishing conferences help them in that regard? Because they might have potential for cross-country plane rides throughout the playoffs. Possibly. Danny, ain't should get on that. Um, from oh, sorry, I, for, I almost forgot the second part of the question. Oh yeah. Why do people consistently overrate Kyle Lowry? Do you have any thoughts on this before I say anything?
0: As someone who no, probably, I was probably, I would him. just make a joke. <laughs> My honest
1: feeling on this is that I think a lot of smart people say he's good. And there are obviously ways that he is good. But to me, he just has these fatal flaws that present themselves when it matters most. Even when I say that, I'm skeptical of if I'm giving him too much credit there. Because... People talk about, oh, his playoff numbers aren't really that bad. Look at his averages across. And then you're like, yeah, but the problem is it's not just the playoffs. He did have a scoreless game against the Bucks this year. <laughs> this is not his first time. And he comes into these games, there's a lot of scrutiny. And it's like, this is a big game. And then he just lays an egg. I think, I think smart people say he's good. And generally when that happens, that's not the worst thing for how discourse changes, as long as people can actually apply their own kind of scrutiny to that and look at it a little bit closer. Um, but I think any assessment of him and of the Raptors generally over the last five years has to, has to be able to wrestle with the two notions of, One, the Raptors have consistently been very good and may have like 50 wins plus and be a top seed and all this kind of stuff. And then also not forget what happens to them when they get to the playoffs. And somewhere in the middle of those two things, the really good regular season and then not being good enough when you play the best teams, that's where you get to Kyle Lowry. And he's good enough to help you do one thing and not good enough to help you do the other thing. And really, that's the definition of overrated. You watch him be good at one thing for more of the year than you get to watch him actually flounder at the other. So, yeah, I guess that's my feeling on it. But I don't know if I'm the person to talk about Kyle Larry being overrated because do I even rate him, Jordan?
0: You, you give him an all-time Lowry. <sighs> From an Apple Hmm. <laughs>
1: three questions here in this tweet um number one sorry two of these are directed directly at me jordan so you just put your feet up there that's right. um not that that's any ah. different to what you do for the mailbag anyway <laughs> one adam have indicated you feel about your toronto takes after seeing calgary scoring as many points as you and i um are we sure i didn't score more points do i did I, did i not Literally score points by Kyle Larry not scoring points. Jordan, is there not a case he made that I scored more points with the Raptors losing Game One than Kyle Lowry? I think I think that might have been score one for me, which means I scored more than Kyle Lowry. Um <laughs> It's not honestly. It's not about feeling vindicated. It's become a bit. I will admit it has. It has become something I talk about so often that it's bordered on that, but never, ever mistake that with it being something that I don't wholeheartedly believe. And that's where the whole thing has come from, is I just don't think they're that good, and I think he in particular is not that good. Um, They're, I don't know, as unscary as it gets. I wish I had a neat little analogy for what the Raptors are. Leave it with me. We're going to have more podcasts coming. I'm sure I can refine exactly what I view the Raptors as. But it's not about vindication. It's just kind of like, oh, look. Yeah, of course that's happening. Of course. Who's surprised? No one who who has to listen to me, Jordan. (laughs) Number two. Adam, did you cry when Tiger won the Masters? I might or might not have. I actually didn't, which surprised me somewhat. Welled up a little. The family bits were very nice. Um, Tiger is my all-time sporting hero. I love Tiger Woods. But no, in some ways. Also, I I, I shouldn't talk about this. What am I doing? I was about to really go into that for a second, which I don't. Will I get anything for you, Jordan? Did you watch the the end of it? Even no, no. I think most people did.
0: Yeah. Um. I was in the forest. In the woods.
1: That checks out. Sounds about right. Tiger. (laughs) Okay. Um, Tiger didn't cry is I think an interesting thing to note here. I think maybe that's why I didn't cry. The moment was nice, but it's kind of like, yeah, I felt he was going to do it. The Tour Championship was the one that really proved he's still around. But I'm not going to talk about golf for a second longer as much as I'd like to. Um, I don't know. I'll have to get on to Eric Benning, and we'll start up a golf podcast where we mix books, talk with golf talk or something. Jordan, did you be uh, qualified to guest? No. Okay. <laughs> Number three, do books players... Slash coaches need a better need a need to do, I would guess, a better job to protect Giannis.
0: I mean, how do you protect them? It's well, like I a, mean, if they're I mean, they played flag football. I mean, you could put up the <laughs> offensive line in the practice. That's a good way to protect. <laughs> Even
1: the details from the wiffle ball game would seem like they were doing everything to protect people just in case someone not looking at anyone in particular i'm guessing bud
0: slide into home uh,
1: got too competitive (laughs) yeah i I love the detail of bud kind of shaping up at the plate and pointing off to where he was going to hit it it's like yeah we need we need more of hashtag (laughs) hashtag party animal Bud. um Which again, this is something that I would hope a lot of people are aware of because we talked about this way back when, back before Bud was hired when I was doing my best to lead the Vote Bud campaign. There are all these great stories from his Hawks days. There's a it must be online. It must be on YouTube when the Hawks starters, the five guys got named player of the month. I feel like it was with NBA TV, which would seem fitting they did a kind of round table discussion. It was the five of them together in a room and they did an interview and they talked quite a lot about Bud, but they talked about Bud going to concerts with them and stuff like this, like Bud went to see Drake with them. And there's all these really great details, which on the one hand are really funny, but on the other are so endearing and really kind of convincing as to why does this guy have something that works with these things? Bud's plan is right. Bud's plan is working nicely. Um, I do, to kind of touch on something I said earlier, I think I think Giannis is going to get protected very well from the referees in this series. And they will probably be on alert for this, considering the things Dwayne Casey is saying in the media. But the dynamic of the Bucks being the better team is very clearly established that I think he'll get the respect that I think... Bucks fans have long wanted him and the team to get from officials. I think they'll get that in this series. From a Cowboy Space, going to be honest, that game left me with no questions. When is the second round? I don't know. I don't know if they've even, they don't map it out, really. I mean, I know last year they started sooner when there was an overlap where two teams had finished up early, which is a little disappointing because we're looking at that scenario, really. I think we're staring it in the face that game one for the Celtics game doesn't make me feel like maybe I said six and you said five and I was shocked. You said five and maybe both of us oversold that. The Celtics could win that in four.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like there's a chance that the Raptors and Sixers could be mired in overly lengthy, unnecessarily lengthy series on the other side of the bracket and the Bucks and Celtics could be playing second round games. If they follow through with what they did last year, um, which would be kind of a bad break because the books are certainly on course to give themselves every chance of rest if the schedule makers allow it. But then, what am I saying? They don't need rest, they're resting for these games. Right now. From Ad again, I keep hearing from national media that the Raptors are so deep and can throw so many bodies at Giannis. Going through their starters, I think they only have an advantage at small forward. Also, I don't see anyone on their bench who's de- demonstratively better than the books bench, agree or disagree. Do
0: I think that's to... where that's where Anobe... An- Anobe. Losing him, I know he's... It, like, offensively, he's been pretty much a tire fire, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but defensively, I mean, it's not just one player. We talk about this a lot with Giannis. It's having a variety of options. And Ananobi, Kawhi, a little bit Pascal Siakam, but I think that's kind of stretchy. Surge.
1: It's going to be a lot of yeah. a buck, I think. If the books play the Raptors, I think there'd be a lot of Surge. because yeah. Out of necessity, because they're going to want to try and play Surge and Marcus Gasol together a lot. And particularly if they're playing the books and you've got.
0: Bro they have Gasol on him and he just stays home because he's going to let Giannis shoot. That could be something.
1: I. I Casale isn't the defender he once was where even that strategy Giannis is going to beat him at the rim he's going to just have enough craftiness just that edge in terms of just that split second in terms of movement that's going to give you the open layup or let you get by him for a dunk whatever it might be I don't think that works I I think Ibaka might might just have enough to be able to cause some trouble, but again, it's like, really, what are we talking about? He had here?
0: trouble. Abaka had trouble with him two years ago, and that you know. he did. And
1: Giannis two years ago, and Giannis now, very different players. Yeah. Um. I I think for this, this is a lazy narrative, and I think it's a big part of why. Personally, I'll talk. I'll speak personally, and it's very much a personal opinion. It's well established at this point. I think part of why the Raptors are overrated this year is because a lot of people have this kind of weird convergence of last year's Raptors and this year's Raptors in their head for what this team is, where they talk about their bench as if it's last year's bench, Mm -hmm. and they talk about their starters as if it's this year's starters, where really, you know, that's impossible because Siakam is now a starter and you've got all of these various factors they've obviously looked they've overhauled their roster and they've more flexibility they've changed a lot of things but if you had a bench equivalent to last year's bench with this year's starters yeah they they might be the best team in the nba they do not have that <laughs> like they do not have that and you know what? I'm I'm actually going go back on that still because they still have Kyle Lowry. but um they don't have a bench that's remotely good. No, like I mean it's, it's it's not the Sixers because they at least have enough players that you can put out on the floor, like actual NBA players. But it's not that far off in terms like of what Jody you're Meeks really going
0: playing get. time.
1: Like that says a lot about the matchup that when you consider how Jody Meeks crossed paths with the Bucs this year and then. The Raptors are seriously, like, bringing Jody Meeks in because they might need some shooting. And the-
0: Well, they had to do – it wasn't just him. They had to, like, fill, like, the last four roster spots because they just went through their roster and, you know, gave up excess parts. And I I said it during the trade deadline, but, like, a guy like DeLon Wright, especially with the Ananobi. DeLon Wright I know was I- really good. He was the better
1: of the group. Like, he – He's a I honestly rangy. don't know how fussy the Grizzlies were in certain elements. Maybe I'm not being fair to them because if you're making that deal, you should absolutely be saying we want the long yes, right. If you're not that. giving us Siakam, we want the long right. Like there's only so and many. And the
0: Raptors are going to be like, yeah, take him. In terms of that specific scenario, they really shouldn't have though. But I, I thought, I thought that, that was that was, kind that was of a, a weird...
1: desperation move, like. I, I think we talked a bit about this at the time. The timing, like, they wanted Miritich. We know this. They didn't get Miritich. And it's like, okay, Marc it was, um, it was obviously usually, reported as years, something years. they explored. Yeah, I guess so. Um, they could just not have made that move. And I actually don't know if they would be worse for having Delon Wright and not having Marc Gasol. I think that's particularly in terms of matchup with the books and just in terms of options and what they can do with a matchup. In, with
0: and Valanciunas gave, I remember the one game the Raptors won, right? They only won one. Oh yeah. we talked about that before. Valanciunas like gave the bucks fits if I remember correctly.
1: Well, we've had this in the playoffs before there was games where he was unplayable. Came <laughs> through was unplayable, ways. where the, the Bucks can't play him and no. <laughs> games where you, you can't keep them on the court. like, I don't know. Um, Norm Powell does not like, Jesus, Norman Powell. Like, remember the desperate place book fans were when they used to have to talk about Norman Powell all the time? And now, like, no one's, even books fans who are obsessed with him and Patrick McCall. they're not going to come up as names ahead of a potential series. I
0: take it back. <laughs> <I found> <laughs> he didn't even play in the game that they want, so I am an
1: idiot. That must be last year. He's, he's had one good game against the Bucs recently. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, what what even was the question, Jordan? Their bench, their bench is... I, was, I almost swear it. It's We'll just say it's weak. Um, and there was almost a phrase I put out there. <laughs> I don't even know. I think it might be a very... I don't know if it's a phrase that would cross over the Atlantic. But, anyway... From our Justin Superbook, if you would clone one book's player besides Yanis, cloning includes their contract. Who would you clone? Why? And how many times would you clone them? <sighs> I've, I've got one, but I don't want to say it preemptively in case you just then agree, rather than I want to see if you can come up with someone else. Unless you're going to like, take See, a the, can-
0: the contract part is throwing me off, but. Well, the contract
1: true. part's yeah, the that. part that decides it for me, all right? I mean, mm. I think it's a good qualifier because no matter how you feel about Chris Middleton, for example, if you had five more of him on your roster, you're going to be pretty good. Uh, so I think the contract is a very worthwhile addition. That's true.
0: I think I got it. Who have you got? You go first because you had yours first.
1: I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not really going to game the system and say Brogdon because he's still technically on a cheap contract because it's about to, you know, go up a notch. But along those same lines, it's going to be, it's going to be Sterling right now, I think, in terms of wings who could defend and shoot, very valuable. And he's on a second round picks contract. I think to me, he's the obvious option. oh great <laughs> if you can't even get the name out without a fit of laughter this is going to be is it son yeah. I knew it <laughs> I knew it I think Jordan is actually on the floor laughing there for a moment. yeah I was um, waffling do you not have a real answer? no I don't. <laughs>
0: why so... not? why not? I think
1: that's the <laughs> I could see him giving when I was giving my answer. I Ugh. thought I thought he was giving it some thought, and I was like, I think he agrees. I think he's gonna say yes. Sterling I would have.
0: Sterling was like the first person I, I thought of.
1: But no, you went first. <laughs> yep,
0: always go for the joke.
1: It would be entertaining in its own way. Um, from at underscore. Well, hey,
0: no, we, we already know it because there was that commercial of Yon, or Ursa where Don't he has like five. <laughs> Uh, from experience already, how well that experiment goes
1: from at underscore Wisco Sports. What adjustments will the books make regarding Horford and the pick and pop? Seem to kill We're us during the regular season matchup, about
0: the business theory. <laughs> Jordan. Honestly, what do you expect? I know people? it just makes me laugh. It's just so, <laughs> it's so funny to me. There is someone, uh, here. it's
1: not Bud and it's not Darvin Hamm, but there is someone in the coaching staff and in the video, Eric staff Alexander. Right now. Who has been assigned? Okay, look, we have to pretend that we're paying attention to the Pistons right now.
0: Do you think they let? Think but you've got to really
1: get to work on the Celtics.
0: You go over here. We're gonna play. Uh, we're gonna play some uh hot, field hockey.
1: You know, we're gonna Back have home. we're gonna have a twenty minute meeting once a day about the Celtics. Is probably the territory that if they're not there right now, they're probably there after Wednesday night. Um. <laughs> My answer to this is kind of similar to the earlier question. When I say kind of similar, it's basically the same. It's like... Jordan, what score was the series between the Bucks and Celtics this year? What
0: score? Yeah.
1: 2-1. to Okay. So, Horford killed them in the pick-and-pop, and and they won the season series.
0: Extrapolate that out to a playoff series 4-2. Right?
1: Right. I mean... (laughs) Very very basic, but again, uh. Horford killing the books in the pick a pop is not enough to beat the books. Could get close, and you know you, you throw a bad game in there, and the margin for changes. But um, I don't know how much the book should overthink that one from the jump. And I, I do kind of think this will be Bud's strategy down the line: is he will stick with the tried and tested to begin with see how that works which is kind of the right thing to do for me seeing as you proved that that group was the best team in the league over the course of the season so stick with plan a and after a game or two if plan a is very obviously not working then you really kind of toy around with things i think a big difference and look it goes that it's saying and the difference of the coaching with this year and previous years but is like you and I could list through multiple contingency plans that the books have that they've actually shown and put some minutes in and had some success with at times this season, which like couldn't have been any further from the case in previous years. Yeah. Often in the past, their contingencies were actually their best plans; should have been Plan A's, and we rarely saw their them. contingency
0: plan was playing a player that hadn't played the previous five games.
1: It was okay. Let's try. Shabazz Muhammad, you're up. Yep.
0: Um,
1: Jet, you're playing 38 minutes tonight. <laughs> it's like all that stuff, I think they take that one as it comes. I mean, the the ultimate answer could be that that is a situation where they try to use DJ Wilson. I think Maybe. that would end. I think that would end badly. Very badly. Yeah. I think that's the kind of. I can see that actually coming to pass where, say, Ursan is spending a lot of time on that. Books' Twitter is melting down. He needs to get DJ out there. And yet, if Horford saw DJ Wilson, there's just a multitude of ways he could beat him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll come back to things we've talked about recently with DJ. I don't like part of that is that might just be a matchup and one particular element of the Celtics play that the Books won't have a perfect answer for. Which, by the way, is also fine because, let me tell you, the Celtics are not going to have a perfect answer for a lot of what the books do. So you you can kind of allow some of these things. Obviously, you don't just say, oh, well, completely go to town on that. You try to offer some resistance, but it's not a case of, you know, that's going to kill you. It's like, well, we have our own things that they can't come up with answers for. From at David Dunn Twenty One, is there an insane scenario where the books go up three to nil, three O as you might put it, Jordan, three zip, three, three nothing, goose egg, and rest players in Game Three knowing that Detroit can't win the series and LED welcomes playoff revenue for a Game Five. You really can come up with a conspiracy theory for everything, Mister Dunn. Which, by the way, and Bowling I Bonzi
0: was playoff eligible.
1: Yeah, I, he would have been playing last night if he was. Um, by the way, anyone who hasn't, and it's unlikely that there is anyone listening who hasn't, but if by some chance you haven't seen it, David Done 21's end of regular season video, there's 10 minutes of goodness out there, um, including a couple of little snippets of us, but highly recommended. If for no reason other than a chance to relive Bill Clinton talking about George Hill again, which Jordan and I have already laughed about once on this episode, but I mean, you could do. He shoots the ball.
0: He drives it. He's got long arms. (laughs) It's
1: truly amazing that he's that into George Hill. Yeah. Do you think George Hill is his favorite player in the entire league? Bye, George. He buys George Hill jerseys whenever he gets traded. or
0: He even dyed his hair blonde when George Hill died. Hillary's
1: like, what are you watching? And, oh, not that George Hill again. Yep, yeah.
0: Could be worse.
1: <laughs> the question, anyway. <laughs> um, the answer to this is no. Because, you know, welcoming playoff revenue, that's That sounds like a Herb Cole problem. This team is going to create plenty of playoff revenue because they're possibly going to get to the finals. finals. Um,
0: They're just going to die the river green and make a bunch of friends. Is it still green?
1: I saw a picture, which I believe was from today, where it was green, although it's... It gets less healthy-looking green. See, I didn't want to wade into this because I don't know what I was gonna the make Milwaukee River right. is like. <laughs> uh, but this is something that I think has happened once here. I know it's this—it's the St. Patrick's thing. St. Patrick's Day thing in Chicago, right? They do yep. this. Yep. Um, I believe that it happened here once in the River Liffey, which is the main river in Dublin, and. Yeah, the river's not great, you know. It's green at the best of times. So the picture I saw today, I wasn't sure how much of it was the dye and maybe some elements of just natural green. I don't know. You could speak to that better than me. But it's a it's a great idea and a great say PR to Say a
0: joke could be made.
1: It's a great <laughs> PR stud that a couple of days later, all of a sudden you look at it and you're like...
0: There's a bunch of fish.
1: Oh no, there. what have we done? I love that detail we're not no we're not getting into it we're not getting into yep, the peter fagan interview with, <laughs> with the fish and all that no we're done move on or <laughs> underscore andrews 88 that's for game trees podcast when it gets really yeah,
0: weird when we're incredibly delirious if we
1: lost in the first round or even second round what happens to the team going forward i have us in the finals just was curious um Look, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say they're <laughs> not gonna lose in the first round.
0: <laughs> just a hunch. We've had more questions about a plamp <laughs> about of the that Celtics they're not playing the right now than the current. Did we opponent. have one question about the pistons even? We had three Al Horford specific <laughs> questions to the Pistons one or two. We no we had no questions we had about more the questions about the officials than the Pistons
1: themselves. <laughs> Seriously, just not one question about the Pistons. That is amazing. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad Buckskiller has finally uh, found its confidence. Thank you. Awesome. Um, if they lost in the first round, the team gets broken up. All the interviews Mark Lazary has given when he touches on this subject, most recently when he appeared on Howard Beck's podcast, um, Actually make no bones about that, that if this team doesn't achieve in the playoffs, they're not paying for it and they will break it up. And it's kind of, it's always hidden because the other part of it is, oh yeah, if they do really good things, we're going to pay for this team, whatever it takes. But that's always preceded by if they don't even a little bit perform to that, yeah, they're gone. We'll, We'll do something else. Second round will be where it gets interesting. Uh, for me, I think context matters. I said this going into, it's not even going into the playoffs, quite a while back, where I could imagine a second round exit, where to me it doesn't make the entire season a failure. It would be incredibly disappointing, but it wouldn't necessarily just you know white slate clean. The whole thing was a failure. We need to start again. But I don't know if there's any second round exit that would get ownership to open up that checkbook like they might have to for next season if they want to bring everyone back. So I don't really know. I think it's a good and interesting question. And then even if they get to the conference finals, what if they get to the conference finals and they lose in four games? Again, you've listened to the podcast at this point. Um, it's pretty clear neither Jordan or I think that is on the agenda. But if it was to happen, I'm not sure if it would make all that much of a difference that they got to the second round or conference finals. In I think if it happens, we're owners.
0: we're we're going to be dealing with other questions because something incredibly catastrophic would have happened.
1: Like right now, it only seems like injuries could lead to that.
0: Yeah, that's so. what I, that's what I'm talking about. Like it would have to be like Giannis.
1: George, don't even. We're both knocking on wood simultaneously in different corners that's right, of saying. the world. Yeah. Um,
0: we're knocking on wood. We're dying our nearby rivers green. Well,
1: no. <laughs> You are, but yep. I think they likely get to the conference finals and at least equip themselves well in that setting and everyone comes back. I think anything less than that could throw in some honestly unwanted variables and maybe the worst case scenario. Um Let's say, for example, the Bucs lose an all-time classic series with the Celtics in seven games. They get beaten at the buzzer in the second round.
0: Aaron Baines. Some sort of Butler freak Bainer. thing. But,
1: you know, great games where you can say the Celtics did some really good things. The Bucs did some really good things. They just lost it out here. That's the kind of scenario where, for me, I can see it being really obvious that you run this back and you you run it back knowing that you may need to upgrade long-term, but your best route to doing that may involve bringing guys back. So they're there as trade assets. Um, I would fear that a scenario scenario like that could lead to somewhat flippant and drastic roster changes that aren't necessarily warranted. That would actually be the scenario that scares me the most in some ways, because it would be one that doesn't suggest this whole thing is, you know, fills gold and yet the response may be something in line with what you would do if that was the case yeah so there's kind of two tracks i think that i would hope to see them go on because it offers clarity one way or the other Um, obviously one of those i would much prefer which is things go great and they go we have to bring all these guys back because we're so good the middle track is the one that would be a little bit scary, and I guess in some ways it's still one that's very, very likely. So we'll have to see how that goes on. But look, we might get a better sense of that in the next few podcasts. We've got at least three more episodes where we can kind of preview the previews of the Celtic series based on what people seem to want us to do. So we get lots of time. We'll take to talk your Marcus
0: right Morris questions next. Time.
1: <laughs> From at MK Robert, so, uh, the last one. Are the players on this this books team basically the same as last year? I keep hearing this, and I'm curious if it's true or not. There is a weird thing where they're just not, like, roster turnover-wise. They're not so drastically changed. And yet... The changes are significant. I mean... Even let's take the obvious out of it. And I say Pat Conant. Literally look at the deal he was signed to. He should be one of the most peripheral figures. And um, he just played the most minutes of any book in game one of a playoff series. He's embedded in the rotation right now for the first couple of rounds, at least Um, actually maybe beyond that point. They only brought three new players in outside of the draft, which, I mean, doesn't count with the way sees them, went. Those three were so significant, though. Honestly, I know, look, Ursan's divisive. What Ursan and a player like that opened up for this team in terms of options... Like that's the really the biggest thing. Like Brooke is the obvious one where you say, okay, he changed him this way. But I think the overall the biggest difference for the books this year is the way their front court dynamics just were transformed. That applies to DJ becoming an actual player, but it also includes Urson being what he is and Brooke then being what he is. You go from John Henson, Ton
0: Tyler Zeller. I
1: was let's say who am I forgetting? Tyler Zeller you go from that group to the just vast array of options where they, had, where they couldn't play Christian Wood and people were getting upset about that, but they genuinely couldn't play him because they had so much at those positions. Like you may only have made three changes. Two of those changes pertain to that area of the floor.
0: Their backup point guard by the end of the year last year was Brandon Jennings.
1: Yeah. And that is the other thing I was, I was going to get onto. It's, it's not just the off-season, which I think it's brought up in this discussion. They've made a ton of in-season moves. They've even, like, look, Powell is not going to play. Well, I don't know if Powell will even be healthy at any point. Throw him in.
0: Play him 48 minutes. Uh, I, game I don't
1: think he could do that. Damn. Um so he doesn't have to play. <laughs> he w- he would have had a great chance of playing if uh, he wasn't injured. But... They've done quite a lot throughout the course of the season. Miritich, George Hill, Powell. If you add that to the three guys then from the offseason, and Dante is another, even though he didn't play that much, that makes up seven players
0: think it's on your real...
1: 15-man roster. They also changed their two-way guys this year compared to last year. So if you want to make it a 17-man roster, nine of the 17 players this year were different to last year.
0: We don't even have to take it back then. We could take it back to, like, December like Jason Smith was a part of this team, he would have been what DJ or DJ DJ's minutes would have been his. Like that's uh, you know what I mean.
1: Not sure on that, but yeah, I guess. Well, I'm, I get not, I'm not
0: sure. Yeah, but that's you know, it was yeah.
1: But it, like again, I think the more important thing with this, and I think right now is not the time for anyone to feel anything about how national narratives see the books. National narrators can see the books whatever way they want to, and the books can go and win the championship in the next two months, and who cares? Like, like this is really the the point the books are at right now where things like that are not out of the question at all. Yep. Where they're as good as they are, people can say what they want to the TV. You can literally tune it out and turn on a game and be mm-hmm. like, look at them, they're Why doing it, it again. I tweeted it the other night, and it's something I probably tweeted like twice. Ten to fifteen times throughout the regular season, and the other times I didn't tweet it was probably because I was asleep and Jordan was live tweeting. What they did against the Pistons, they they weren't even in second gear doing that. It's just no. like this team is hilarious. <laughs> they are just like you, there's times you just have to sit there and laugh at just how absurdly good they are. they're. Whatever. Ask,
0: they're they're currently asking more questions about Al Horford than John Lure <laughs> Quite and simple.
1: Yeah. I I look just, it applies in a lot of ways, but I think just, you know, take the books at what the books are showing you, right? Just, Just enjoy the ride. Don't worry about what other people are telling you with the books. Take the books at face value because right now that's pretty damn good. And they're not giving any reason to really just consider a lot of the wider questions about them. Like when they become worth your thought and worth our discussion, We'll know about it because we'll be seeing it in front of our eyes in the series. You know, if Al Horford's pick and pop becomes such an issue that we really need to talk about it and the books need to find something, it's going to be because the Celtics are winning games because of that. But right now, there's actually not a whole lot of reason to even bet on that being something that comes about. Like Al Horford could score 25 points a game across four games, be ultra efficient, and the Bucs could sweep the Celtics. Not saying I think that's what will happen, but could that happen? And I don't just mean it like, could that technically happen? I mean, is that actually plausible? Is it possible is that- with it with this books team? It actually is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we just kind of will cross all those bridges when we come to them, Jordan. Have you got anything else?
0: I am curious. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, never mind. I was
1: I was eagerly awaiting. I d I don't even know what Pistons player's name might have come out there as too No, what I was actually gonna do to the
0: Celtics joke. Um, Robert Williams
1: I'm confident that never mind your curiosities. I am confident that no one else has done a podcast quite as long as this one on Books Pistons game one. Yeah. But I, I guess <laughs> I guess that is easier to do when your podcast is actually about, you know, books Celtics. Yep. We will be back, I'm going to say, probably Thursday night, although Jordan and I will discuss this privately and actually come up with an arrangement, so just disregard me saying that. But I'm going to guess we're going to be back kind of within a day after um, game two. Until then. Make sure you read all of our writing at BehindTheBookPass.com if you want kind of daily analysis and opinion from me and Jordan on all things books Pistons. (laughs) You should also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Fossil and SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, Favours and TuneIn Radio, and whatever you're supposed to do on Spotify if you want to make sure you catch every episode of Winning Six throughout the playoffs. As always... (laughs) Thanks all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan.
0: Thank you.